Let's take our Bibles, please, this morning and turn to Psalm 29, the 29th Psalm. As we continue our series looking at having a voice or different voices, we've looked at many different voices throughout this uh, series, the voice of John the Baptist and the voice of creation, the voice of Christ's blood, and several other voices that we've examined. But I want us to look at the voice of God this morning. I don't know about you, but when I read the scripture, sometimes I wonder what would it have been like. For instance, what would it have been like for Adam and Eve to actually walk in the garden in the cool of the evening and actually talk to God? Do you ever think of that? What would it be like to actually talk face to face to God and learn directly from him? Or as Moses was up on the mountain receiving the law, which is amazing to me because when you read the passage, God started giving the law to all the people. And the people said, Moses, you go up and you get it for us. We don't want to hear the voice of God unless we'd all die. It brought fear on them. So they said, you just go get the law and then come back. What a privilege it must have been for Moses to hear the very voice of God talking to him. Or how about Peter, James, and John? Because... Jesus Christ is God incarnate. And so as they were walking on this earth and following Jesus Christ, they're hearing the very voice of God speaking to them. Wouldn't that be amazing? But we're going to look, as we look at the voice of God, while we're on this side of glory, we're not going to walk with God in the cool of the evening in the garden nor will God speak to us as he did to Moses, nor will we talk Jesus face to face as Peter, James, and John. But we can still know and hear the voice of God, for God has revealed himself in his holy word. And so I want you to think of this, Christian. Every time I read the Bible, I am hearing the voice of God. Every time I study the scriptures, that's God's voice. And so... As we study the voice of God, I want us to understand God has spoken, and we are to heed his voice. So if you're physically able, if you please stand with me as we read Psalm 29, 1 through 11. Psalm 29, reading the entire psalm, and the title says, A Psalm of David. Give unto the Lord, O ye mighty, give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The God of glory thundereth. The Lord is upon many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaketh the cedars. Yea, the Lord breaketh the cedars of Lebanon. He maketh him also to skip like a calf, Lebanon and Syrian like a young unicorn. The voice of the Lord divideth the flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shaketh the wilderness. The Lord shaketh the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord maketh the hinds to calve and discovereth the forest. And in his temple doth every one speak of his glory. The Lord sitteth upon the flood. Yea, the Lord sitteth king forever. The Lord will give strength unto his people the Lord will bless his people with peace. So two simple points in this passage that I want us to examine as we look at the voice of the Lord this morning. First, we're going to notice the reality of God's voice. The reality of God's voice. And secondly, we're going to examine our response 
to God's voice. So let's bow in a word of prayer. Father, again, as we look in your word this morning, I pray we would again understand, Lord, you've revealed yourself to us in your word. And so, Lord, may we heed what you have spoken to us. May we as Christians learn to submit to you. And Father, I pray again, if there's one that does not know Christ as Savior, that today would be their day of salvation. As they hear of your wonderful voice and how you've provided a way to be saved. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. David in this passage talks much of the voice of the Lord and gives us many descriptions of God's voice. He says it's a glorious voice. In verse 3, the voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The, vo- the God of glory thundereth. The Lord is upon many waters. Represented by thundering. And this is not how we typically think of the voice of God. You know, when we think of God speaking to Moses, we think of this thundering voice. And it talks about the glorious voice of God, the powerful voice of God, which we'll look at in just a moment as well. But God's voice is full of glory, and we're to give glory due his name. Again, verses 1 and 2, Give unto the Lord, O ye mighty, give unto the Lord glory and strength. Our whole purpose of living, Christian, is to glorify God. As we just examined in the earlier services about how the perp- life without God is purposeless, Yet with God, we have a purpose, and that is for his glory. But we often think, as I said, God's voice being this big, thundering voice. But many times, the voice of God comes as a still, small voice. In 1 Kings 19, the prophet Elijah had this experience, verses 11 through 13, and he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by, And a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entering the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou hear, Elijah? You see, we think of God's voice as this big, powerful, thundering voice. And yes, it can be. And yes, creation represents it in thundering and all these things because does not creation itself point to its creator? And yes, God's voice is a very powerful voice. But the truth is, folks, is many times when God wants to speak to your heart and mind, it's not in a big skywriting, it's not in a big thundering, it's not in a big showy way. But it says, you and I are reading the word of God and that still small voice comes to you and says, Christian, either whether it be something in our life that needs to be changed, God shows us and convicts us and says, this is wrong. This is the way, walk ye in it. Or sometimes it's comfort that comes from that still small voice that God says, I understand and I care. Or sometimes it's that still small voice that just comes and gives the peace within as we're studying and understanding the Word of God. But many times I think we're we're too busy in our lives to slow down and to quiet down and hear the glorious still small voice of God. Because our lives are so busy of all the hustle and bustle, and we love noise in our lives to the fact to the point that we don't sit there and quietly, you know, as as Elijah had this experience, God was not in the wind, he was not in the earthquake, 
He was not in all these other great and mighty things that we think typically be in the voice of God, but it was a still, small voice that came to Elijah. But that doesn't take away from the power of God's voice. Look at verses 4 and 5. And the voice of the Lord is powerful, and the voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaketh the cedars. Yea, the Lord breaketh the cedars in Lebanon. It's full of, glory, uh, full of power, full of majesty. Majesty has the idea of splendor or honor. Now, we all understand how a storm can break down some big trees. If you were around here in 2018, you saw way too many trees come down when Florence came through, right? Big, huge trees that the wind took out. And what the passage is telling us is that represents the power of God and his voice. You see, the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. The word of God is alive. The word of God brought life. It is through the word of God that the worlds were created. That's serious power. I can't speak things into existence. God did. And that power, even though many times he comes to us in a still small voice, we need to remember something. God's voice, God's word is powerful. And so as I study the word of God and it convicts of sin and it shows me the way of life, and as I'm teaching others and as I'm sharing the love of Christ with others, I cannot neglect giving them the word of God because it's the word of God that is powerful and is going to change lives. I love reading through Genesis 1 when many times throughout the different days and God said, and it was so. God said, let there be light. And there was light. That's pretty simple. Sounds so simple. But think of light and the whole electromagnetic spectrum. God's spoken into existence and we still, all of our studies still don't fully understand it. His voice is a glorious voice. It is a powerful voice. But it's also a controlling voice. I'm glad God is in control of all, aren't you? Verses 6 through um, 9, He maketh him also to skip like a calf, Lebanon and Syrian like a young unicorn. The voice of the Lord divideth the flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shaketh the wilderness. The Lord shaketh the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord maketh the hinds a calf and discovereth the forest. And in his temple doth everyone speak of his glory. God is all-knowing. We call it omniscient. Omni meaning all, science, knowledge, all knowledge. He knows everything, right? But he would not be God if he were not all-knowing. So that means God already knows before something happens what's going to happen. Matter of fact, he tells us in Isaiah 46, verses 9 through 11, remember, remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure, calling a ravenous bird from the east, the man that executeth my counsel from a far country, yea, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. God knows the end from the beginning. 
And let me say, Christian, you and I can take encouragement in that, that God already knows what you're going through. Whatever trial in life you have, whatever struggle you're, you're going through, you know, this whole inflation and gas now being four and a half dollars did not take God by surprise. He knew it was coming. So why should you and I live in fear? Why should you and I act as though this is strange and, and, and taking God by surprise and whatever am I going to do? I will say, I'm glad a couple years ago we decided to move our evening service to an early service because that'll help save a couple bucks in gas for each of you, especially those that drive some distance getting here. But you know, it didn't take God by surprise. As a matter of fact, how do we know that wasn't part of his reasoning back then for us to do it, right? You see, he already knows what's going to happen. God already knows, and he's already revealed to us many things that we know are going to still happen yet. As a matter of fact, we act like when our life as Americans gets miserable, the rapture is going to happen. Do we not act like that as American Christians? Show me that in the Bible. You do realize, and I heard a preacher saying this just this week when I was, we went up to Raleigh uh, for our first Wake America this year, speaking with our um, legislators. We went up on Thursday, and we had a breakfast at Beacon Baptist Church, and Brad Cranston was preaching, and he was saying some of these very same truths of, we act like we as Americans cannot face persecution. That's a third world thing that happens. Where's that in Scripture? You do realize, now I do believe in the imminence of the rapture. I do believe it can happen at any moment. But I also know, according to God's word, that we could suffer a lot of persecution before that happens. So let's get it out of our head that when things start falling apart in America, Jesus must come because that's not what the Bible says. Christian, that means you and I need to understand God already has a purpose. God already has a plan. And he wants you to be faithful to him and he will take care of you. Now, that doesn't mean hard times may not come. But I do know this. I can trust the one who allowed the situation to happen. And he will carry me through. My responsibility is just draw closer to him. And if they do, if persecution does come, are we going to be willing to stand for him? Are we going to be willing to stand for him? You know, it is interesting to me in churches that are preaching the truth, it seems to be fewer and fewer there because people want their ears tickled today. They want to be told how good they are. They don't want to be told they're a sinner. They don't want to be told these things. But you know what? It's God who said it. We can't change the message. And no matter what happens in this world, you and I cannot change what we're preaching and teaching. We need to be consistent we cannot but speak to things that we have seen and heard. But God's voice is a controlling voice. Nothing happens that he already didn't know. And also then, Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, By him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. By the way, what's your purpose in life? For him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. You know what holds this world together? You know what sustains this world? God does. He is in complete control. 
And so isn't it a comfort to us then as Christian realizing that the voice of God is a controlling voice? You know, in, and again, in the passage, it talks about a great storm that David is alluding to, referring to the voice of God. But isn't it wonderful to know that even when the winds blow in life, whether really in reality or metaphorically, when the storms come, God is still there and he's still in control. Nothing happens that God does not allow. When the sons of God were called before Satan shows up, the angels are the fallen angels there called, and God asked Satan, Where have you been? Well, I've been running up and down the earth. And he says, Hast thou considered my servant Job? What did Job do wrong that he deserved the trial that he suffered? Nothing. But it was a, if you will, a challenge or a testing that God said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? That he is faithful, he eschews evil, he's one that fears me. And so then, what does the accuser say? Well, God, he only follows you because you have this hedge of protection about him. I mean, if you took care of everything like that for me, I'd take it. You know, come on, this is ridiculous. And so God says, all right, you can do anything you want. Just don't touch his body. And you all know the account. And one day, Job lost all his belongings and his family. Yet, Job still did not curse God. And so Satan comes before God again. And he says, well, any man will do anything for his own health. Now here again, Job didn't do anything to deserve all this. But my point being this, Satan couldn't do anything to Job unless God allowed him to. He could not touch him unless God said, I allow you. I authorize it to happen. So take comfort in this. Whatever God allows in your life, he already knows the outcome and he knows it's for your good. You say, how is that good for Job? Job through it all, still brought glory to God because he still praised and worshiped God. Did he not? So Job accomplished the goal of our lives, which is the glory of God, because he never said, that's it. I'm going to curse God and die. Sometimes it's just that simple. Just don't quit. Just keep going. And I know many in this room are suffering from different types of trials and different types of things going on in your life. But let me say, let me encourage you with this. God knows and God has allowed it and he has the comfort and grace that you need to bear it. Let's look at verse 10. The Lord sitteth upon a flood, yea, the Lord sitteth king forever. His voice is a reigning voice. I love Revelation 19:16, And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. That's referring to our dear Savior, Jesus Christ. King of kings and Lord of lords. He's sovereign of all. Now, his righteousness and holiness demand that sin be paid. But this king, this reigning voice, has provided a way of salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ the Son of God, God himself, God the second person, became a man, lived a perfect sinless life, 
willingly gave his life on the cross of Calvary, died, was buried, and rose again the third day to save you and me from our sins. But when one rejects Christ, when one rejects the salvation that God has already paid through Jesus Christ, then they will be cast into the lake of fire, eternally separated from God. Revelation 20 and verse 15, whosoever was not found in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. Why? Because while God is a God of love, he's also a God of righteousness and justice. He's paid for the way of sin. But if you reject God's payment for sin, then you will be separated from him for all eternity. Now, folks, I say that not because it's the opinion of Jim Corr, not because it's the opinion of Freedom Baptist Church, but because it came directly from the voice of God. God said it. Therefore, it's true. His voice is a glorious voice. It's a powerful voice. It's a controlling voice. It's a reigning voice. Let's look at verse 11. The Lord will give his strength in his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. I'm glad it also can be a comforting voice, aren't you? How many times have you maybe had something going on in your life, a struggle in your life, and God has just brought you comfort as you've read his word? Isaiah 40 and verse 1, God commands the prophet, he says, Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith the Lord. And I believe many times, Christian, while we need to, yes, preaching is, needs to be hard against sin, and we need to, uh, preaching needs to be conviction, there also be, needs to be time when preaching brings comfort. Because God says, comfort my people. When people are going through hard times and struggles, there needs to be comfort. My wife and I went to a funeral service yesterday of a man who served in Havelock on the Rec Advisory Committee. He was the chairman and I didn't get to know him that well because from the time I was assigned to the Rec Advisory Committee to the time of his death was mostly during COVID, so we really never had a whole lot of meetings, but I did get to meet him a few times. And his service was at the church right across the street from our house, which is really convenient walking distance. But the pastor preaching a message of comfort to the people but I was saddened because he never mentioned the truest comfort people can have, and that is salvation in Jesus Christ. It was one of those of, it, it came across to me of basically we're all God's children and he's in heaven and we, we never explained how he got to heaven type message. Folks, let's not lose the entire message of the gospel. Because yes, while we're trying to comfort people, they can only have true comfort. We don't want to give them a false hope. We want to give them true comfort in Jesus Christ. God's voice is a voice of reason. Isaiah 118, come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. God says, let's reason about this. Well, who gave us the ability to reason? God did. And so then he reasons with man. He says, come, let us reason together. Let us talk this out. Let us talk about this in a reasonable fashion. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Isn't that a wonderful truth that God presents there? So then why would you want to continue in sin? Why would you want to continue to carry around the guilt of sin? And when Jesus Christ has provided a way to have your sins forgiven... 
He's provided eternal life. John 14, 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Listen, there is no other way to heaven but by Jesus Christ. And if you're here this morning, the greatest comforting news I can give you is that if you're here this morning and do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I can tell you with all assurance, because God said so, that Jesus Christ came to save you and you can walk out of here today knowing for sure, absolutely beyond any shadow of a doubt, that your sins are forgiven and that you have in your possession eternal life. And friend, if you don't know that today, we would love to share that comforting message with you this morning. But as I said already, God comforts his own. Isaiah 40, verse 1, which I already mentioned, Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith the Lord. Hebrews 13, 5. Let your conversation or your manner of life be without covetousness. Stop desiring the things the world has. But be content with such things as you have. You know, we sing the song, I've, I'm satisfied with just the cottage below, but then we live like we got to have a mansion here. For he has said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. I've told my wife many times. I said, you know, we're never going to be rich on this side of heaven. And I'm okay with that. She seems to be okay with it thus far. No, she is. Because you know why? On the other side is waiting glory, a mansion, things that are incorruptible. Have you ever noticed that things wear out? Now, Susan and I got married in 95. So that's a day or two ago. I think the only things we have left that we had when we first got married is our corning plates and bowls and whatnot. And even many of those have been broken over the years. And she looked at them the other day as we were unloading the dishwasher and the edge of them is starting to separate. You know what I'm talking about? And she's like, you know, it's probably time for new ones. And I'm sitting there thinking, they're only 20 some years old. <laughs> What's wrong with these things, right? Everything wears out, right? Anybody own a house? Yeah, they're a money pit, right? Am I right? Things break. Why is it the avocado green appliances that they made in the 70s are still running and anything made in the 80s or newer has already died? Why is it? Or the burnt orange. Remember those two? Either had a choice, burnt orange or avocado green. And the neat thing is if you have either of those left over from the 70s, they're back in style, so you're cool again. Everything else breaks. That is the reality of God's voice. So then what is our response to his voice? You can choose to believe God because he has spoken. In his word, because you go throughout the entire Bible and does it not claim throughout the entire Bible the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord came unto. God said, I mean, it's, it's all the way throughout the entire scripture, the Bible claims to be the word of God. If it's not, then it's a book of lies. But it truly is the word of God. And since then, it is the word of God, then you and I have a choice. Are we going to believe it or are we going to reject it? You know, we've all heard the saying, well, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. That is actually a false statement. God settled it. That settles it whether you believe it or not. 
Your belief is not contingent upon the truth of God's word, or the truth of God's word is not contingent upon your belief, rather. The truth of God's word is the truth of God's word, period. So then, when God says Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, there is no other way to have life. The only way we can have life is coming through Jesus Christ. Do we believe that? And if we believe that, have we believed that and acting upon it and putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Or is it just a mental assent belief? Then, Christian, as we're talk, talking, uh, as we looked at this morning and last week in the early service about having a victorious Christian life, do we believe that we truly can have victory over sin? Do we believe that we are truly dead to sin? Do we reckon it to be so? Do we yield ourselves as instruments of righteousness and not unrighteousness? Do we believe that we should have a wholly separated life? Do we believe God wants us to obey his commands? How important is it for you to study the Bible every day? How important it is for you to have time praying and communing with God? How important is it to you to be faithful to this local church? How important it is to you to be giving to this local church? To be witnessing to others? Are not all these commanded in Scripture? Then if it's truly God, and God has spoken, and it's the voice of God that said so, then let's stop arguing about it, and let's start obeying. But verse 9 also gives us another response, and that's that we can choose to speak of God. Look at verse 9. The voice of the Lord maketh the hinds a calf, and discovereth the forest, and in his temple doth everyone speak of his glory. Do we speak of the glory of God? Do we praise God for the things that he's done in our lives? Or do we speak of the things of this world? So much of our time is consumed with talking about things in this world. What the world has to offer. My job, my car, my house, my whatever. We talk so much about the things of this world and how little of our conversation really is about God and heavenly things. You say, oh, come on, preacher, we can't talk about them all the time. Why not? And then another response, we can choose to reject the voice of God. So you can choose to believe, you can choose to speak of him, or you can choose to reject. But Romans chapter 1 shows the result of those who reject, does it not? Now, I know we're covering this in Sunday school as well, but it's worth repeating. So let's go to Romans chapter 1, if you would with me, please. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, and let's start at verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. Again, as we looked at this morning, God has put inside each of us a conscience and an understanding that there is a God and there is an understanding of right and wrong innately in each of us. And then verse 20, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even as the eternal power in Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So God is also not only revealed internally in us through conscience, but he's also revealed himself externally through creation, pointing to the fact that there is a creator. 
So it says, men are without excuse, verse 21, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. So again, as we looked at this morning, men innately know there is a God, but people choose to reject God and say, I'm not going to believe in God. I'll classify myself as, as atheist, not believing in a God. It says, they become vain in their imagination, their foolish heart was dark, and professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. By the way, many who believe in humanism and promote humanism claim that they're all smart. As a matter of fact, they all want all the titles. I'm doctor so-and-so. You ever notice that about many doctors, including MDs? You know, you call them by their first name or call them Mr. It's not Mr. It's doctor. Okay. You know, should I go around saying, it's not Mr. It's pastor. I mean, you call me Mr. Core is fine. I don't care. We even say Mr. President. But they want doctor. Because they're smart. So they think. But it says, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And changed the glory of God and their uncorruptible, uh, glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like an incorruptible man and the birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. By the way, have you noticed how our society is really turning to a lot of false gods and false images again? I mean, how often have you gone somewhere and seen a Buddha sitting there? Or, you know, you see all these pagan symbols and all these things and people trying to make themselves even look like animals and weird stuff, but it's, it's the same thing, okay? They're changing the, corruptible, changing the glory of the uncorruptible God and an image made like an incorruptible man and birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Do we not see in our society and have seen now for many years the deterioration of the home, the deterioration of commitments of marriage, that fornication and adultery are so popular that we don't even frown at it any longer, that broken homes and single mom homes are so popular, whatever happened to men taking responsibility? But let's go on. For this cause, God gave them up to vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise, also men leaving the natural use of the woman, burning their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly, receiving in themselves the recompense of their error, which was meat. I'll tell you what, I am sick and tired of every time I turn around, you have to know on some TV show that this guy is a homosexual or this woman is a lesbian. Who cares? But they got to keep pushing it in our, in our face because you gotta, you got to accept it. And you know how unnatural that is? It's disgusting. I remember when Bill Clinton decided the don't ask, don't tell. I was in Pensacola, Florida, going through my C-school, which was um, aviation medicine. And they took the hospital there in Pensacola and went to a skeleton shift. And then all of us who were corpsmen in any of the schools had to go to this big auditorium and we sat down and I remember this, I forget his rank, but an officer got up on the platform and he said, if the president's going to allow men, we need to know how to treat it. And he went through this big long presentation of all these different acts that homosexuals do to one another. And let me tell you something, I could have lived all my life not knowing it. 
And then he showed us what diseases they get because of it and how we were going to have to treat it. It was one of the most disgusting days of my life. And I'm going to spare you the details because it's just absolutely disgusting. Verse 28, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable and merciful, who, knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. You reject God, and this is the path you put yourself on. Not because I said so, but because God said so right there. You see, there is a way which seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. But ultimately, as I said earlier, rejecting Christ will end in eternal separation from God, the second death, and a place of fire, a place of torments for all eternity, a place separated, a place of torture. Friend, that's not what God has for you. He wants to save you today. Would you be willing to listen to the voice of God? Christian, when you and I choose to reject the voice of God that calls us to a sanctified life, I am glad you and I will not face an eternal damnation, aren't you? But when you and I choose to sin, Christian, our loving Father will chasten us as He has promised. Proverbs 3.12 for whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father the son in whom he delighteth. You know, when my children were growing up, there were times of discipline. Not because I hated them, but truthfully because I loved them. I loved them enough that I could not allow them to go in the direction that they were going. They needed to be brought back to the right path. And so Christian it is with our father, that when you and I choose to sin against him, Hebrews 12, 6 tells us, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. He does it because he loves us. And God loves you enough, Christian, that as his son or daughter, he's going to keep you on the straight and narrow. That's actually comforting news. But I'll tell you one thing. I have learned throughout the ages, when God has to do some chastening, it hurts. Does it not? And you know what? I would rather live that sanctified life, that holy life that he's called me to, and be in an area where he can bless me as opposed to being where he has to chasten me. For several reasons. One, I guess you could say is kind of selfish because I don't want the pain of chastening. But two, should be a greater motivation because of his great love for me, I want to show my love for him. And I had a very close relationship with my earthly father. And one of the worst things my dad could ever say to me is, son, I'm disappointed in you. I'm be 49 next Sunday. You know, some of the most hurtful words I can still hear are, son, I'm disappointed in you. I don't think I'll ever get over that. 
But worse than hearing it from my earthly father would be hearing it from my heavenly father. And I just don't want to disappoint him, do you? So how about we listen to the voice of the Lord? The voice that is a powerful, gracious, glorious, controlling, comforting voice. Why don't we choose to believe and obey and to proclaim his truths to others instead of rejecting? Let us bow for a word of prayer.